of that. I love hearing those hymns. I love that the ones that we sing are all founded in Scripture. And uh, it's a blessing to me to be able to, to hear the truths that God brought in different ways, through music, through song, and uh, the way that God sometimes sings to our heart in those times. We're going to be in uh, Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12. We're going to read the whole psalm. We're only going to focus on the first verse and of that two words. But to get the context, let's go and read Psalm chapter 12, verse 1. This is, you'll note this is a psalm of David. He writes, Help, Lord. For the godly man seetheth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I rise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth him. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side, when the vilest men are exalted. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful uh, to be here in front of uh, this body in this moment in time. Lord, how you've uh, squeezed my heart many times today already to know your special presence, to know that you are my God, that I am your son. We thank you, God, that we can know that you have a personal will for us, that you're ever there to meet each and every need as we hold them up to you. Um, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Charles Haddon Spurgeon titles this psalm, Good Thoughts in Bad Times, and it fits well. He laments for the lack of faithful men and the prosperity of the wicked, and he knew where to turn and what to say when he found himself in a desperate situation. He sought help from the Lord and his word. Over the years, I've written a lot of one-verse uh, sermons and lessons, but I don't believe I've ever preached a two-word phrase before, help, Lord. I got the idea for this message from Spurgeon's morning and evening devotions. He says of this phrase, help, Lord, this prayer itself is remarkable, for it is short, but seasonable, sententious, and suggestive which would make for a very neat three-point outline, which I was taught to look for, uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit. The word sententious means uh, it's a short, energetic, self-evident truth. And the problem, I like using those outlines because it, it helps me to structure what I have to do to bring the word. But in this case, uh, I don't have the scriptural knowledge of a Spurgeon, so I had to come up with my own three-point outline. And so what we're going to look at 
is number one, uh, the recognition of need. Number two, the power of specific prayer. And number three, why we don't always seek God's help. <coughs> That's my three-pointer. Yes. I hope you think that when I get done. So number one, when we're seeking God's help, we need to recognize, have the recognition of need. Some problems in life are no-brainers, so to speak. You know, if we have a medical emergency, we go to a medical professionals. If it's anything less than that, try and tough it out yourself. Once you put yourself in the hands of the pill rollers, you're toast. So my personal observation, you don't have to go by that. If it is true. If your car, go, if your car breaks down, you go to a mechanic and you get it fixed. Whenever we're faced with a situation we can't solve on our own, we need to seek help from someone or something, somebody who can. Some things you can't just Google up and get an answer. We need to seek a higher plane. We need to seek help. We need to seek help from God. And it's one of my human failings that I find it very hard to ask for help from others, even from God at times. And I hope you're not like me, because it shouldn't be. We'll look at this uh, last point, the last part of this message. I want you to note here, David, as he wrote this, he didn't say, help me. But he could have, he said, help Lord, Jehovah God the self-existent one who created all that is, who designed everything in this existence, that brought into being life, that brought into being mankind, that brought us into a position where we can come and know him, that wrote his word, that we could know everything for the faith and practice of this life. And as hard as it may be in times of stress and trial, we need to take our focus from ourselves and our problems and focus it on the Lord, directly on the Lord, and seek Him. Help, Lord. I believe this is the essence implied in James chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We talked about that, mentioned that word sententious. It means a self-evident, an active, energetic, self-evident truth. Well, that term, effectual fervent, is that Greek word energio. We get the word energy. It also means, it implies um, something that's energetic, something that's sincere, something that's earnest, something that's persevering. Um, God wants us to put our heart into our prayers. He wants to see our heart. He wants to see and to get right to it sometimes and give him uh, what our heart to him. I think sometimes, you know, he says it's a short, remember the word sententious, and Spurgeon, Spurgeon knew what he was talking about. If you read some of Spurgeon's original sermons, you about have to have a dictionary because he used a lot of English we don't use today. Yet he wasn't preaching over the head of his congregation. People just knew more English than we know today. 
the same. And so sometimes I think this effectual fervent prayer, I think sometimes I think God, you know, we're, we're tap dancing around, and sometimes they think, and says, why don't you get to it? Tell me what you want, and let's get on with it. Specific prayer of a righteous man, and that means that we've dealt with the matter of sin in our life, that, we, that our prayers can go up to him and be heard. <laughs> Help is simply defined as something that aids us to assist, to lend strength or means toward affecting a purpose. God's strength. <clears throat> if you'd picture, picture you and I as, as, a, as a power tool, as a power tool or an electrical appliance, we're that, we're that appliance or that tool. The cord in the plug is prayer. <clears throat> the plug-in in the wall where we access the power to get that tool working that's our prayers to God. And we access the power of God through prayer. That's where we get, we can tap on to the knowledge, to the energy, the wisdom of God as we access Him through prayer. And we draw upon His vitality, upon His strength. <clears throat> that, that tool or that appliance just sitting there on the counter, it's inert. Can't get any work done. But when it's plugged in, you understand? When, you're, when it's plugged into the power source, it can get something done. When we're plugged in or we're tuned in to God, then we can use it of Him to the fullest measure. And so I might ask you, what is your default, quote-unquote, default setting when confronted with a stressful situation? You know what I mean? Do you uh, first take your burden to the Lord and seek counsel from Him and His Word, or do you fret? Wring your hands and try to figure it out yourself. Well, I have to admit that myself, uh, even though I'm not an emotional person, usually that's what I do first of all. What, what's going on here? You know, start, you know, yeah, cursing sometimes. Going around, wondering what's going on. But I've learned to not stay in that position. When you get to that position of frustration or fear or whatever, doubt, then it's time to stand back and it's begin and to access God in His presence. Help, Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs uh, 22, verse 3, the, the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple passed on and are punished. The prudent man is the thinking man. The prudent man is the man that knows God's word and he uses it to filter everything that comes in through his conscious being, his decision-making self. And that when he's confronted with a decision, when he's confronted with problems, he doesn't look within, he looks for without. He looks to God. He looks to his word. That's, that's the essence of why God put that verses 6 and 7 in there, where he says that the, that the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times, absolutely pure and perfect as God himself. God's word is just as that silver and that gold 
it's perfect in itself, it's rare and it's precious. It's got great value and we should regard it as such. And so we should not give ourselves overly to matters of emotion, but to, to look at things when we're confronted with a situation to begin to make evaluations, to look around, to be circumspect in our decisions and look at things, make decisions, gathering data, okay? Look at things as they are, sort it out, and then look at God's word and see what it says. If we've been taught, if, if there isn't a direct command there or position, we can look at the principles and we can find out what God would have us to do. <clears throat> and when we see that the way that on down the line, if we follow a certain course of, uh, in life or certain, the result of a certain decision is going to end up questionable, don't go there. If it's a maybe thing, don't go there. Unless you can be absolutely confident that it's what, in the light of God's word, what he would have you to do, don't do it. If you can't find solutions readily yourself from God's word, go see those men right there. That's what they're here for. If you can't parse it out yourself, rather than make a step, step off into a position where you might be compromised, don't do it. Humble yourself, go and seek help. Seek help from the Lord. Seek help from your pastors. And you can receive blessing in that. So the Bible says also, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so we can be, in our natural self, we can be 100% sure that what we're doing is right and be 100% wrong. You understand? The prudent man is looking at things as they are. He takes off those rose-colored glasses and he sees possible, logical, in the view of Scripture, outcomes in life, and he holds himself from those things, whereas the simple person, the simple person is not simple-minded, he's just easily led or naive. The lost person, like most people in the world, you see him in today, the media, how it manipulates people, it's just a reflection of their lost spiritual nature. They'll believe whatever somebody tells them. And if they're, <clears throat> in most cases, what the media has to say is 100% wrong, it's no wonder we have so much turmoil and stress in our country. So I would ask you, uh, how much do you really trust God's word? Okay, check the box. Some of the time? Most of the time? Or all the time? Well, it makes me squirm a little bit when I really think about that. How much do I really trust God's word for every avenue of life that I'm confronted with? It should be all the time that we would seek his face, we would seek his help First of all, above all things. The Lord can surprise, surprise, supply answers for the conditions that we find ourselves in. I'm not talking about what to have for lunch or what kind of car you drive, but I'm talking about the matters of things that come upon us that we can't solve in our natural self. 
the knowledge of God's word that we have. We should seek God's help in times of physical danger and persecution. Psalm 35, verses 1 through 3, it says, Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Well, we don't see that so much yet. But it's a reality. I think of Brother Seth in his workplace. He's gone through more than probably most of us for his testimony for the Lord. There's a lot of people in his workplace that, that don't, don't uh, they just don't love the Lord. They probably hate the Lord and they hate those that love the Lord. We pray for Seth. I do all the time because I know potentially what he's going through. And we know too that as, if the world continues going the way that it is, a lot of you, especially you younger people, should the Lord uh, delay his return 10, 20, 30 years, you're going to face some stuff. You're going to be able to have to make some decisions of which way you're going to go in, in this existence when times of persecution and stress come. It'll be more complicated than whether you take the vaccine or not. And so we need to have those times when you can just come to the Lord and say, help, Lord. What should I do? How am I conduct my life in this situation I find myself in? We should seek God's help when we're dealing with soul sickness. Psalm 42, verse 5 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in the Lord, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. God's countenance is talking about his special uh, position that we have in being that close to look into his very face and know that he is ever with us. I think about, you know, this, this, this psalm itself, it just talks about, that, you know, it describes itself better than anything that I could ever say. You ever been in a position where you're cast down, where you're really hurting inside? Well... There's going to come those times, unfortunately, in each and every one of our lives, sooner or later. But I think about the hymn, <clears throat> standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. And this is, this is kind of, I'm, I'm going to touch on this a little bit later in the message, I hope, but... Um, We can't ever go to the Lord too soon, and we can never trust him and his word too much. It needs to be the first place that we go, and we can stand on those promises. God is honored when we trust his word, and we simply, like little boy, he wants to see that little boy, he wants to see that little girl obedience that just comes running to their daddy with his needs. And God is honored in that. And it's something that we should glory in. Because God gets glory through the matters of when we humble ourselves to him. And we open ourselves up. And we bear our soul to him. 
And, you know, we can never ask too much. I think we don't, uh, we don't trust him as we should. We're so caught up in this, in this sinful flesh and the pride, uh, pride puts us in a position where we, we really think we can figure it out and do the best for ourselves oftentimes. That's a dangerous position to be in. When those times come, when you're really down and you're, there's sickness in your soul, when you're at the bottom of the pit, that's time to cry out, help, Lord. God can provide that special hiding place we may need from time to time. Remember how Jesus went off and the disciples went off? There were times of, 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 of deep stress. It was positive stress. But there came times when they just had to withdraw and get away. The Bible says in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help. He's always there. God will never put you on hold. He won't say, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. He's going to say, well, I'm not going to put you on the back burner. He's not that kind of a God. And it came to me not so long ago that, that if God willed it, he could minister Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, every saint and angel in this existence, if he chose to. Think on that. It's awesome. Don't limit God. He is the Almighty. He is omniscient, omnipresent, and, and in every way perfect and able to meet each and every need in, in our existence now and for eternity. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When you, when you perceive that you need help, you can go to him and know that he's there for you and for me. And we should seek, we should seek help when we need that special someone to be close to us. Psalm 94 verse 17 says, unless the Lord had been my help, My soul had almost dwelt in silence. It almost come to the point where you wish that you were dead so hard. Brother Job was there. Elijah was there. I've been there. When I lost my family, Satan didn't just have me on the ropes, he had me on the canvas. He was going for the knockout blow. I'll tell you this, what I learned from that experience, when you've lost everything in this life and all you have left is God, you have enough. I called on him, help, Lord, and he helped me. He put me back on my feet and he got me back into the fight. It can be broken, but he can fix it because he's that kind of God. God, our creator, wants us to recognize him as a source of all spiritual help and blessing. 
a beautiful Psalm 121. It says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. You know, in my little house, for those of you who've been over there, you've got a mural covers almost the whole of one wall, and it shows a springtime scene up in the mountains, up in the hills. It's always green there. The flowers are always blooming. I looked there many times, and uh, I can't see the hills in the wintertime, but I can see them there. And he talks to me sometimes as I look upon that, that landscape, it never changes, it's always the same. That's all right. It reminds me who God is. It helps me to remember who I am. And that sometimes when I'm looking to find something at the end of the tunnel, I can look there and know that, as it says in the verse 10 of that, of that Psalm 46, it says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes it's good just to be, just to be quiet, just to sit before him, to regard him as your savior, as your creator. And as I've done that, as I view him on that throne in heaven, he becomes greater, I become smaller. The communication becomes more and more sweet, more and more precious, and he ministers to this poor old soul. So the first thing in getting help from the Lord is to recognize our need and the place to go to get it. Second, I want to look at the power of specific prayer Pastor Humphrey mentioned this <clears throat> this morning, and it's a, it's a truism that we need to know and accept and make use of more. Uh, we need to learn to not make, to let molehills become mountains. You know what I mean? They don't have moles up here. Moles are just little tiny gopher-like critters. They get in your lawn and they'd go along and they make tunnels and you can just tell where they are because they go right underneath the grass roots and they're eating the grass roots and it leaves like little humps all over. And if you let it go, it gets to be quite noxious because you can't mow your lawn very decent. And then all of a sudden, if you have a dog that likes to dig, you're going to try and go and dig that mole out of there and you're going to end up with holes all over the place. It gets worse. Well, in our situations, when you begin to perceive something in your life, that's a problem, something that's getting at you, the time to deal with it is right now. To go to the Lord with it, seek his word, and as best you can, to deal with it in that way so that it doesn't become a bigger and a bigger issue. For if it's the matter of sin, we know that sin is like leaven, it just, it'll just grow and grow and grow and grow until it becomes something that will be very, very hard and difficult to deal with. The thing is to do is to nip it in the bud and to go on. And to remember that everything matters to God. Max Licato is a, is a Bible commentator, he said, what matters to you matters to God. Pure, plain, and simple. 
So don't think that anything is outside of God's care and concern. Uh, nothing is too trivial. You know, we, through the day, if you can do it, don't stop talking to them. There's always something you can give thanks to the Lord for, for the moment. You can access his, his power when you have an opportunity like Brother Seth did when he was with his relatives. How much did you pray during that time when you were down there, brother? I bet you more in a little bit of time and there was, he should know and understand. I know he does know and understand there are a lot of people praying for him to give him the strength to do what he needed, wanted to do. It would be well for us to remember that though this plea for help is addressed to the Lord God, to Jehovah God, we are in truth accessing the presence of all three persons of the Trinity. For we know in John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, he shall send you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Pastor Demlo preached on that point a bit uh, a few weeks ago. That word another comforter means one is exactly alike. Well, how could that be? Well, because God is God. His essence doesn't change, even though he chooses to manifest himself through three persons. He is, in essence, all God in all manners of his being. And so he can minister as a loving father, he can minister as a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and he can minister to us as a God of comfort and healing. He's that kind of God. <clears throat> the matter of specific prayer, <clears throat> we know it's acted out numbers of times in the Bible. I'm just going to mention a couple. We know the account of blind Bartimaeus. Jesus was... was traveling through the country, and this man, this blind man, finally got access to, to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. But it's interesting to note that Jesus didn't answer him and heal him in that time. He then asked, Jesus then asked him again, what would you have of me? And then Bartimaeus said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And then God healed him. Sometimes we need to get, get right to the point. Pure, plain, and simple. Draw the bottom line and then get to it. Uh, David used this tool with Ahithophel, you remember? Ahithophel was his chief of staff, his number one counselor. And when Ahithophel sided with his son Absalom in rebelling, David knew that he was in trouble because Ahithophel knew him better than anybody on the planet. And he knew very well that Ahithophel's counsel could even cause his death. And so David, when he was given that knowledge in 2 Samuel 15, 31, it says, that one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, O Lord, I pray thee, Turn the counsel of the Hithophel into foolishness. And he did. When, Hithophel, when Absalom came to Ahithophel and asked him what to do, 
Ahithophel told him what to do. Go get him right now. And if he would have, he'd have took David out. But Absalom didn't listen. He, 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 listened, he didn't listen to Ahithophel's counsel. He thought it was not the thing to do. And so he waited. David was able to get his people back together and he regained the throne. Ahithophel, and Ahithophel ended up hanging himself and Absalom, his son, lamentably died. God is honored when we pray his words back to him in times of distress and loneliness. We might well pray, help, Lord. You said you'd never leave nor forsake us. And that's a very truth, especially implied in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And it's implied over and over and over again in Scripture, in the Old Testament through the New Testament. What God has said, he will do. He'll never leave us to ourself. It's we that walk away and separate ourselves from him. It's we that close our ears sometimes to the urgings of God. The truth is we need to help, to, to seek his help in all matters of our existence. And again, um, we shouldn't be afraid to ask God to do the hard things. Again, we've heard some, some teachings and preaching on that today also. In Jeremiah 33, verse 3, it says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. Uh, when, we at, when we open up to God and we ask him to do some, some specific things, he can, he can come around and he can show us things that we couldn't even imagine that could be the end of our prayers, the fulfillment of our prayers. Because he, he simply can because of his, his, uh, the essence of his being is that he wants to hear the prayers of his children and he wants to be able to act on them. And God is honored in that when we come to him first and foremost with that open heart willing to hear him and obey him and walk in his ways. And so a good way to develop specific prayer in our personal lives is to pray for our own specific needs, for the specific needs of others, particularly our missionaries. It's one thing to pray for Brother Noah that his ministry goes well. It's another thing to know that, that uh, Hadam and, and, and Ozzy, some, some new men coming to the ministry, they need to get in the, they're going to be in Bible studies, they need to get saved. Need to remember that, that Musafa and Ahem are in, in discipleship training now. Pray for them to be able to receive doctrinal truth and one day to come for baptism in that church, in that church plant in Beirut, Lebanon. Ask God to, to do specific things and just stand back and watch him work. Again, our prayers, if anything, they might tend to limit God. We can't overreach God in his ability to answer our prayers. And again, uh, sometimes, you know, that's why the pastor goes through these report, missionary reports and the prayer needs you know, from our individuals, write them down. 
you know, some things just stay with you. Brother Lang, I started, there was a, a post that he put out a while back, and I just, I just can't get away from it. He's back here in the States now. But he asked for, for, uh, for help teaching, training, and doctrinal growth in seven of those Lao Hmong pastors for their doctrinal training and, and, and be able to go ahead and that, that also they could get the Bible translated in the Hmong language. Well, I can't, I can't lose that. He's not even there. I don't know how, it's gonna, how that's going to act out, but I know that's what Brother Lang asked for that, for, for that support for those, and I'm going to keep praying that way. Just because Brother Lang doesn't, isn't there doesn't mean that those men's needs, those pastors' needs can't be met. We should pray believing that he can just send somebody else. Okay, the last point. Why we don't always seek God's help. This is the hardest point for me to develop because it forces me, or maybe a, a better word is motivates me, to look at my own shortcomings in this very important area. The number one reason I don't seek the Lord's help when it is definitely required is sin. You know Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, for the believer... Our salvation cannot be compromised, but our fellowship and communication can and is when we sin against him. When we sin, it is not our relationship with God that is compromised, but our fellowship and our communication. His, his face is hid from us, and he will not hear. It's not that he can't hear. It's that he will not answer the prayers of recalcitrant children. So we must deal with the sin issue before God will hear our prayers. And again, Pastor Demlo last Sunday preached powerfully on this very subject. First John 1 John 1.9, we know it very, very well. It rolls off the tongue. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God says to confess and forsake our sin, and then fellowship, communication is restored, and we can go on in life. And Pastor, he, he, he demonstrated this again. If God says it, he forgives it, it's done. It's buried in the deepest ocean. He's put it behind his back. He no longer regards it. But what happens is, <clears throat> is that that flesh sometimes won't let it go. You been there? You understand? You ever been there? What well, happens to me, and then I need to go back to the promise of God and claim it. If I've confessed it and forsake it, he's forgiven it, and I need to go on. This is a very simple and effective formula for restoration after we've sinned. Why don't we always follow it? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, it boils down to guilt and shame. Webster gives a long and very concise definition of guilt, but in one word it is criminality. 
In God's eyes, every person becomes a criminal when he or she breaks his law in thought, word, or deed. Even one lie is enough to, con to consign a soul to hell. You know, in Revelation chapter 20, it says, All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone. One unconfessed lie. The burden, the responsibility for it, the wages of sin is death. What we get for our sin is separation from God. Unless that spiritual separation is dealt with in the matter of forgiveness from God, we will reap the punishment for our sin debt. Breaking God's law brings about a penalty for the lost and the saved. Um, Spurgeon wrote, there is no place so well adapted for the discovery of sin and recovery from its power and guilt as the immediate presence of God. To seek his face, help Lord, help me with this. Help me to get over this matter of, of my sin and my guilt. Guilt, the world, the world decries guilt. Now, to be guilty is not good, but of a, of a crime or a sin. But, if, but until an individual understands that they are personally responsible for their sin, they can't receive forgiveness. And so in that sense, when we experience guilt, it then should motivate us to do something that we not remain guilty before God and reap his punishment. For the lost... The sin debt just grows and grows and grows and grows. One sin will take you to hell. But an unconfessed sin just grows and grows and grows. Hardens the heart, maybe. Hmm? But if we, that burden of our guilt becomes to the point where we seek relief from that burden, from that responsibility, from that sin debt, and we repent and believe on Christ as our Savior, we can be born into his forever family. That guilt can be taken away and the shame of it. Shame is a painful sensation excited by a consciousness of guilt or having done something which injures reputation or by that of which nature or modesty prompts us to conceal. Hmm. Well, Adam and Eve, we experienced exactly the same thing Adam and Eve did when they disobeyed and broke God's law. He told them there was just one law, one rule, to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which was in the midst of the garden. They went and did that at the urging of Satan, and they succumbed to the three-pronged attack of Satan, 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so they experienced guilt and shame in the moments in time that they disobeyed God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree desired uh, good for food, lust of the flesh, 
and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, to make one wise, the pride of life. She took thereof and did eat also, and gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Where did that come from? They felt the guilt and the shame of what they had done in, in disobeying God their Father. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves aprons. And so guilt, they felt guilt for what they had done, and they understood that God had told them if they, if they broke that law that they would surely die. And so in fearfulness, they went and hid themselves from God, from the God that they had walked with in the Garden of Eden together in perfect, sweet fellowship. But they'd been separated from that relationship by their decision to disobey God. And then they became guilty before God. And as Pastor used the, the verse today, guilt can be good because it makes every mouth stopped. We look at God's word. And all the world become guilty before God. When an individual understands that they're guilty before God, then they can do something about it. I grieve for people in this existence, maybe in this very auditorium, that can sin and know it and can go on without repenting and seeking forgiveness of God. Lost or saved. It shouldn't be in either. For the lost person, know and understand that your sin will find you out. There's no two ways about it. There's no escaping God's judgment. He isn't, he isn't exacting on you any more a harsher penalty than he ever has over any individual in this existence or ever will. Separation from God and having a personal relationship in, in, in facing paying for your sin debt. That's what all those people, all those souls in hell are paying off that sin debt. And they'll never get it paid off. They'll just pay and pay and pay and pay. They need not, no soul need go and experience that if they're willing to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, to believe on Him as Lord and Master. Pastor Humphrey talked about godly fear today. There are some things that are penultimate that we fear. It is right to fear God's wrath for sin. It is right, it is right to fear the punishment that an angry God has for the unrepentant sinner. Adam and Eve, they knew fear for the first time and the fear of punishment and that they had sinned against a holy God. And when God gave them the opportunity to believe, when he came before them in that garden and he killed those lambs and the and He's, he showed them that it would take the death of an innocent sacrificial victim, himself, that he would die and shed his blood for the payment of their sins, 
Adam and Eve put on those coats of skins. Remember, they tried to cover their sin with their works of their hands. The fig leaves don't work. Your works aren't going to equate the matter spit before God in the day of judgment. But they put on those coats of skins, picturing that they repented of their sin. And they put their faith in the promise of God that he would deliver them in the time of judgment. When we, well, I suppose it, and I suspect it maybe with all of us, because we're all made of the same sinful flesh that sometimes we try to hide what we have done. But again, as the Bible says, behold, your sin will find you out. That's why when we sin and experience guilt, when we begin to feel that, that burden, that personal responsibility for our sin, when we begin to experience that, we would not fight against that, but we confess it before God, that the shame that we feel for sinning against the great God, it becomes so personal and so real that we would turn all our attention to him and say, help, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I'm trusting in you as my personal Savior. And for the, for the lost person, they then can know the forgiveness of sin and being born into God's forever family. For the saved person, communication and fellowship can be restored and we can walk with him uh, in perfect fellowship. Help, Lord. Don't ever forget who he is. Don't ever forget who you and I are. Uh, he's a great God and he wants to hear from us in every part and avenue of our life. And I just say again, if you don't know God as your savior, why not? What's your excuse? Why would you take a chance in rolling the dice? You ever play board games? Ever, does, the, does, the, does the dice always come up the way that you want it to every time? You know, sooner or later you're going to lose. You keep rolling the dice. That's what you're doing. Someday you aren't going to have a chance to repent. What then? You're going to be, your sins are going to take you to an awful place in hell. You need not go there if you're willing to trust in him as Savior. Pastor Demo, I'll turn it over to you.